Welcome, welcome, welcome to Chromatic Distortion with Corey Caesar. I never got a chance to see him. Never heard nothing but bad things about him. Mama, I'm depending on you. Tell me the truth. Mama just hung her head and said, son, Papa was alone a stone. Welcome back to another episode of Chromatic Distortion. This is your host, Corey Caesar. It's episode 19. Uh, hope you're enjoying 2019. Um, this episode is going to be about meteorites. And I think there's some fascinating thing things going on with meteorites right now. Um, a lot of people are unaware of the technology, the things we're trying to do with these things. So I'm going to kind of break that down because there's a long history um, of just cultures and meteorites. So this episode is basically to just open your mind a little bit. Think of some uh, other possibilities. We're, ha- we're having a, a little bit of an issue with that here. I think in the world is being open-minded. We have a lot of closed-mindedness. So I just want you to think a little bit. Maybe, you know, may- maybe this will make you see that... Uh, we have a lot in common, you know, both past and future. We are all, we all are dreamers. We, we dream about all kinds of things. Um, we're fascinated with the whys, the hows, the purposes, the next steps. Um, and sometimes that, that forms in religion. Sometimes that forms in politics. Sometimes that just forms in life. Now, I'm personally not religious. I'm more agnostic by nature. Um, but I do believe in evolution. And all living organisms store genetic information using the same molecules. And those molecules are simply DNA and RNA. It's the building blocks of life. All life. Now we also find these building blocks for life everywhere we look. Outside of our own planet. Stored in rocks. Basically just floating in space. Rocks that have influenced the cultures of billions of people, guys. Billions of people have been influenced by these rocks all over the world, not just in one location. We're talking about from the uh, the Clacamas to the Aztecs, from the ancient Greeks to the Sumerian and Babylonian traditions, from the biblical days to Islam, to modern-day programs that the Germans, Japanese, and even us are openly researching and implementing. They have all shared in believing that the key to life, both here and on other planets, can be found or manufactured through these very dynamic and useful rocks. So what are, what are meteorites, right? Because that's what we're talking about. And that, that could be, that's a lot of... That, Meteorites are different things to different people, especially different cultures. 
Are they just mysterious objects arriving from space? Are they sacred stones sent by the gods? Are meteorites simply falling rocks? Or could they even be examples of some alien technology? Now, I might say extraterrestrial here a few times on this show, uh, this episode. Extraterrestrial just means, in my opinion, coming from outside the Earth or coming from outside our atmosphere from space. That's extraterrestrial. It could be organic. That could be non-organic. It could be manufactured. It's just something coming here, not from here, right? So when I use that word, keep that in mind. Um, so let's start just so we know that, hey, you know, meteor meteorites do hit. We know that. Um, we can go to Winslow, Arizona, which is located in the northern Arizona desert. And it's about 40 miles east of Flagstaff. There sits the largest crater in North America. It was formed by an enormous meteor which fell to the earth like 50,000 years ago. And um, they call this the Behringer Crater. Now, that's just a name that was given by most of these astronomers and, and, and whatnot. Um, it used to be called the Meteor cra uh, Crater, not because it was hit by a meteor, simply because the it was named after the post office, which was closest to it, which was Meteor, Arizona. No longer a town, I don't believe. The Behringer crater is now called that because the dude who decided it was, or who came up with the belief that it was caused by a meteor, was the Behringer family. They own the land. Um, there's even a museum there now, um, and it's well known that it's actually a meteor, uh, a meteor crater. And they used to believe it was from a volcano. The, uh, the early civilizations that lived there. So, each year, thousands of asteroids make their way to our planet through the vast regions of space which seems like a lot, but most of these do just get burned up, you know, entering our atmosphere. But those that make it through are known as meteors. And while most of these are tiny or fall just unnoticed into the oceans, because we're like 75% water, so these things are landing all over the place, there are a handful, though, that succeed in ending their journey on dry land and when they do they are capable of having impact there are, are like that could be like worse than a bomb any bomb that has ever been devised by man i'm talking nuclear these things are nuclear bombs and they're a lot stronger than anything we can produce um and everybody is kind of aware right of these general effects of a meteorite impact it creates a hole in the ground it might throw up some dust in the air and like I said if it's big enough it could cause some weather changes just ask the fucking dinosaurs bro but what else might these rocks do if they had certain chemicals in them or certain biological agents in there it could actually change the environment it could be used in a way to terraform a planet, an environment. So what is terraforming, right? So basically just terraforming is just artificially making um, an otherwise uninhabitable planet capable of supporting human life. Now, you might think such an audacious notion is not possible. But I'm going to tell you, there's some smart people that, uh, that would disagree with you. And those people... Back in 2016, 
started a program, and that program is called RAMA, and it's being ran by NASA. Now, RAMA stands for the Reconstituting Asteroids into Mechanical Automata. Now, the definition of automata means just robots or machines that operate under their own power, right? It could also mean people um, who have boring or ordinary lifestyles, but that's not the definition we're using in this aspect. Um, so an exact, examples of um, automata are like robots that vacuum your floors without being pushed by a person, like a rumba. I think that's what they're called, right? Those rumbas, those, those, little, those little vacuum cleaners. So this program now this is a, this is this is a new program. This is two is two years, almost three years into this program now, um, and they're focusing on literally repurposing asteroids, guys, for space exploration. That's no bullshit. That's happening. Now the idea is to take an asteroid, literally turn it into a fucking probe, and send that bad boy to a star system. Now Project Rama it theorizes leveraging. That great technology we have called 3D printing to convert asteroids into spacecraft. Now, it seems as though a long time has passed since mankind last really stepped into space with the lunar landings. That was 1967, I think, 68, right in there. We were going to the moon a bunch, trying to go to the moon a bunch. But historically, it's really been a blink of an eye when you think about how much time humans have been gazing up at them stars bro and the moon and just thinking about hey can we really get off this planet can we get off of here and, and like we talked about before on other podcasts i think we're going to need to get off this planet um at some point we're going to overpopulate it we're going to lose the resources um we're, it's just not going to be inhabitable for us at some point and, and it could be Something catastrophic happens, a, a act of nature that could that could push this along quicker. But anyways, um, if you think about how long we spent just gazing up there to the time we went to the moon, hundreds, thousands of years. It's only been decades. So a few decades is nothing from then to now. Um, so they believe the next step of manned space exploration will require obviously uh massive amounts of materials expenditures resources all kinds of shit now fortunately for us because we're we're using all of our own resources now um you know for cell phones and whatnot think about that think about all the gold and shit wasted in your cell phone there's a lot of gold in your cell phone if you guys didn't know um for like i said fortunately for us the universe itself though is contained all the materials we need has all of it. Everything you could possibly dream of to build this program. So it's like, why would why would an advanced society though, like ourselves, choose to explore and colonize the cosmos by asteroids? It seems like what's just, it's just a rock. But you have to think about how expensive it is to actually launch a rocket and the resource it takes to build one of these rockets right so what we really want to do is take something very small and light like a few little robots not something not heavy not a heavy payload we want to get it out into space and then use the raw materials in space 
to from scratch build a rocket. I know, man. You guys just gotta follow me here, guys. Okay, I know this sounds really crazy, and and I don't I don't know how how I don't really know how feasible this is, but they try and and I, and I believe they're gonna do it. Now, <clears throat> I know the idea of using asteroids for space travel, guys, seems very far fetched, right? But hear me out here: the Japanese just landed two small rovers on an asteroid in September 2018, guys. September, four months ago. And they're already planning on sending a bigger one. So they've already proven the fact that we can send these little these little probes, these little robots to an asteroid, to the moving object, land on them, attach ourselves to them, and do whatever the fuck we want with them at, at some point, right? Whether that's moving them out of the asteroid belt or whatever. It's happening. We've already kind of uh we've kind of already proven this fact that it works. So besides that, now you also have to take into consideration what these asteroids are now made of. And these asteroids are made of minerals. And there's a bodacious amount of minerals, in fact. Meteors and these meteor samples, they show us that this asteroid belt contains organic materials, guys. It also has metals, it has refractories, which are basically non-metallic materials which have chemical and physical properties that make them applicable for structures, right? As components of systems that are exposed to environments above 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So they're super heat resistant, basically. Like anything, we, we use them on our spacecraft right now, refractories. They got them. They have basically everything we could possibly want to build a space program. It has everything we use now out there. Meteors are also made of very strong material like iron, nickel, and cobalt. Now things like that, these are alien objects and we really don't understand everything about them. So let me throw out this crazy notion. What if this crazy idea of using asteroids as a way of spacecraft is not only possible but it may have been happening and affecting the history of our planet for thousands of years. And this is where we're going to start getting into some of these older civilizations and uh, uh, theories that have been using meteorites in their teachings. So in Westland, Oregon in 1902, this dude named Ellis Hughes, he was a um, pioneer. He spots an enormous and unusually shaped boulder hidden, uh, hidden in the woods. Now, what this dude does is he goes up to it because, I guess, in 1902, when you walk in the woods, you carry a hammer. He pulls out a hammer. He dings this rock. It doesn't react like a rock, and it startles him. He jumps back. It vibrates like a bell. It makes a loud ding. So, over the next several days, he digs tirelessly to uncover what's now a historic treasure. And it's the largest meteorite ever found in North America. Not the largest crater. We already talked about that. The uh, um, the Behringer Crater. This is the largest. That's the largest crater. This is the largest rock found, meteor found, that has fallen. And it's called the Willamette, uh, Willamette Meteorite. And that's spelled W-I-L-L-A-M-E-T-T-E. Now, this meteor is enormous, and the shape has changed over time, which is interesting. 
and now looks something almost like a piece of modern art. It's fascinating and enormous. It's like the size of a car, guys. Now, if we look at the makeup of this meteorite, it's got iridium, geranium, gallium, and nickel, and it weighs like 30,000 pounds. So the nickel in it actually helps it from corroding so it won't rust. Super important, right? Now, of course, this meteorite shows evidence that it had been going through the atmosphere, flying through the atmosphere. It's pitted. Now, what's interesting, though, is that it landed intact and didn't break into a billion pieces. Most meteorites, when they land, they break because they're, they're kind of uh, molten already because they're so hot from entering the atmosphere, if that makes sense. So it's very rare that you find such a big rock intact didn't break when it landed. So it's quite remarkable. And it's not only an example of, sh of a strange meteorite arriving intact, but it's one that's also had a profound effect on the local people. So it became kind of a shrine to these people, a message from the gods to them. So long before Ellis Hughes discovered this, this rock, this meteorite in 1902, a Native American tribe called the Clackamas, which had uh, actually have inhabited uh, Western Oregon for centuries, they were aware of this rock. They knew it of its existence, um, this quote-unquote object, as they called it. They also believed it had special powers, right? Um, they would look at this rock as a gift, and this tribe had a long history of interaction with this rock. They believed it was a conduit which united heaven, earth, and the water, right? Because within the stone itself, there's holes in there from erosion and the like, which gathered pools of water. Now, this water was used for healing purposes, for blessings. In other words, there was something in that water that was gathered from this meteor that they believed gave them some kind of energetic power. So they would dip their um, their blades, and they believed it would make them sharper for the hunt. They would dip their arrowheads, they would dip their spear tips, everything. They'd dip them in these pools of water because they believed it sharpened the blade. And uh, they called this meteorite Tamanoas. And they believed, in fact, it was a messenger from their sky god. Now, this is hugely significant because it tells us that, in fact, this rock is not just a rock. It's an actually link to otherworldly being to them. It's a god to them. It's a link to some god to them. So it has influence on them. They firmly believe it was brought here by someone intentionally. The gods, right? Not by chance that it fell from the sky. Now, why would they believe that? Why would they believe that the Willamette meteorite came from the sky considering that it had fallen to earth thousands of years ago? So before they could see it fall, they didn't see it fall. They just came upon it just like this Ellis dude. So why would they believe it came from the god? 
So we're also, you got to remember, we're talking about a 15-ton meteorite here, guys, 30,000 pounds, that not only crash-landed and didn't break into a billion pieces, but there's also no evidence of an impact, right? So I think we have to go back to that original Clockamas connection and say that perhaps there is some sort of intervention involved in the positioning of this meteorite. It's pretty weird, right? Now, they firmly believed it was brought here by someone intentionally. They actually thought that it came from the gods, not by chance that it fell from the sky. But, you know, why would they believe that when the meteorite came from the sky, considering that it fell thousands of years ago? So way before they were even a tribe, this rock fell, didn't break, didn't leave an impression, yet they looked at it as saying it came from the sky. That's pretty That's pretty ironic that you don't see something fall, but yet you think it came from the sky, and it turns out it was correct. <coughs> Excuse me. So is it possible that it once possessed powers, not of a spiritual, but of a technological kind? So let's look at these crater holes on the meteorite itself, right? Remember I told you it's riddled with holes the holes that pulled water that they used to dip their spears and their blades and their arrowheads for sharpening. So these strange holes may once have held technological apparatus that burned up in the atmosphere as it fell. The same kind of apparatus that NASA is planning on installing on asteroids being harnessed for space travel, that Rama program, guys. So now let's look at that Rama initiative and how they are planning to take asteroids, hollow them out, make them into self-powered spacecraft, pack them with DNA and technology, and send them to other planets. And so you have to wonder, are we just perpetuating the cycle where eons ago, maybe some little uh, uh, alien dude up there or something, uh, other life form just sent life here in the through a meteorite just like we're gonna do and the clockamas discovered the remains maybe of a highly technical little spacecraft that had been sent as a space probe to other planets just like we're gonna do it's fucking crazy man it's crazy the links dude it's, it's a possibility right now meteorites themselves do have a lot of unanswered questions about their origins. Not not folklore, but real science. We don't know that. We don't know a whole lot about them, their composition, and why is it exactly that they have arrived here on Earth. So, I, I don't know. We're trying to harness these meteorites um, and infuse them with information to go to other planets. Could that have happened here on Earth? Is it possible that some asteroids that have reached our planets are essentially Trojan horses? Are they used to hide cargo that has profound ramifications for humankind? And maybe they have been used to bring alien life to Earth in the past. That may sound far-fetched, but I'm going to give you an example. May 2018, just six months ago. This is super new. It's probably why you haven't heard about it yet. It's right while I was turning 36 years old, my birthday. 
there was a group of 33 researchers and scientists, and they published a groundbreaking article in the scientific journal uh, Progress in Biophysics and Molecular Biology. So guys, this is super fascinating. They claim that octopus are in fact alien beings. Fuck yeah, man. I love octopus, dude. Octopuses are so fucking pimp, dude. Um, and this is real life, bro. They really believe this. So the reason why they believe this is octopuses are very different from everything else on Earth. They have no evolutionary bridge to anything. They don't come from nothing. they just there. It defies all theories of how the genome grew to form from simple creatures to more complex creatures. Simple organisms to complex organisms. It's how evolution happened. Didn't happen with the octopus somehow. It's an enigma. So suddenly, out of nowhere, we get this incredibly gifted predator. Has a big brain. Didn't evolve. Has excellent eyes. Another evolutionary trait. Strategies. They like to collect bright, shiny things just like we do. And it's fascinated by its own reflection almost as if it's conscious. And it learns very quickly. By the conclusion of that article, when I read it, all I could think about was how come those same scientists, guys, cannot apply that same theory to our own origins? Because it's possible at some point our genetic makeup was changed due to an extraterrestrial event. Now, remember, like I said earlier, guys, that doesn't necessarily mean aliens. Extraterrestrial just means coming from outside the Earth or its atmosphere, like a meteor, for instance. So I say that it won't be long, guys, until a similar type of article will be published, but the main focus may be the origins of human beings. God, that would be so fucking pimp. So if octopus are not the product of Earth's evolution, how the fuck did they get here? It's a it's a it's an honest question. How the fuck did they get here? And could that answer reveal the truth about our own origins? It's a legit question when you start asking it. Could something have sent asteroids to our planet in order to speed up or even initiate Earth's biological evo- uh, evolution? So in 2011, um, former NASA astrobiologist Richard Hoover published an article in the Journal of Cosmology. Now, he revealed nine separate meteorites that contain, wait for it, microfossils of bacteria. That's life. That's life, guys. Nine meteorites that have life in them. So you have to ask the question of where did life start? And one idea you can imagine is the actual chemical basis of life first started somewhere else, not on Earth. It's so reasonable. And then you have to ask, well, how did those chemicals get here? Right? If we're finding life out there, how do we get life here? And the obvious candidate for that is what? A meteorite. An asteroid of some type broke off, maybe from one planet that had life. Travel through some space, 
enter the Earth's atmosphere as a meteorite, and then upon impact, chemicals would survive and interact with the chemistry of Earth, probably more prominently in the oceans because just the dynamic of life is so much more, it breathes life way more in water. That's why you get all these weird species. Think about how crazy this sounds, but how realistic it really could be. So, perhaps that was the starting point for life as we know it. And when people talk about meteorites that could bring life to Earth or could change life on Earth here, and you say, ah, I don't think that's possible. Well, actually it is because there is a meteorite and it fell in Murchison, Australia in 1969. And inside this little guy is just a plethora of organic compounds, guys. There's all the building blocks. For remember what we talked about at the very beginning of this episode? All living organisms share this DNA RNA. There's all the building blocks for DNA RNA. It has everything in it to start life, this one little rock. Now, the whole concept of meteorites that could be filled with DNA is a theory that's very sound, actually. So we have to start asking ourselves, would other life forms actually use meteorites as projectiles in order to see life on other planets? We're kind of trying to do that now. So the question is, if some extraterrestrial cultures, let's just say, set up probes filled with that DNA, that man's sperm, uh, and the building blocks for life throughout the entire universe, one hit here, perfect combination where our location is from the sun, uh, are they our forefathers? Are they our gods? Are they the things we're actually worshiping? Is it possible that extraterrestrials used meteorites in the distant past as a means of sending the building blocks to life on Earth? Now, such a profound notion does seem far-fetched. I understand that. I'm not even saying that I agree with this. I'm just giving you guys the possibility to open your minds, think a little bit, but you also have to point to the fact that some of today's scientists, smart people, are planning to implement this very same idea with regard to other planets. So we're doing the space probes. We're trying to, we're, we're Japanese already landed on an asteroid. We're, we got the Rama program. This dude, 2016, this German physicist, Dr. Claudius Gross, he proposed another program. And this program is the Genesis Project. And he wants to use probes to do exactly what we've just been talking about. See life on distant stars within our galaxy. Crazy, but fuck is that cool. So this, this he explains himself, Dr. Claudius Gross. He says basically he visited um, the Petrified Forest, um, the nas uh, national uh, Petrified Forest National Park in Arizona. And he came back with very beautiful slides of all the petrified wood. And it made him wonder, you know, what he was holding in his hand is something that actually lived 200 million years ago. And that made him think, man, could we just lay the foundations for forests to grow on distant worlds? Because that's what we needed. We needed to breathe life like we know it today. We needed the methane in the air to drop and we need oxygen because we breathe oxygen correct so we needed that oxygen level to increase to breathe to breed more animalistic type life 
what happened was we had a bunch of trees grow from the oceans. We had everything come out. We had vegetation, which produces uh, oxygen, and it breathes in the carbon dioxide. There was a ton of CO2 in the air. So global warming, there's another, there's another little theorist for you guys. Um, we used to be really high in CO2. Are, are we just going back to normal? That's an argument. Uh, whether you want to believe that argument or not, do your own research. Um, we'll talk about that in another episode. So, like I said, he won the latest foundations for forests to grow on these distant worlds. From exoplanetary uh, research, we know nowadays that there are many different types of planets in our Milky Way. Now, some of these, we don't know, may already deliver a very beautiful biosphere of animals and plants, just like Earth. Others may still be habitable, but lifeless right now, like Mars, we believe is habitable. The Genesis Project wants to bring life to those planets. Now, other scientists have suggested that after jumpstarting life, humans would follow these probes, conveyed by larger asteroids, and further alter life for their own purposes. Some are suggesting this is exactly what happened to Earth thousands of years ago. So let's start looking at some of these other cultures that believe this. And we find in the Aztec traditions a very interesting story. And the story is about the mother god and father god bonded together and gave birth to what's called a flintstone, a knife of some kind, which terrified them to such a point that they actually cast it down to earth, from which came forth many gods. And these many gods sought to create man and woman. What we also find are similar stories from halfway around the world, from the biblical tradition, the Babylonian traditions, and the early Sumerian traditions. So is this really an analogy of some huge rock, some meteorite from the sky, this flint stone that gods from outer space sent here to the earth and created humans? That's their story. The humans that we are today. So other cultures and religions believe that these rocks, these meteorites, have um, the ability and they're instrumental in providing a direct means of communications to their gods. Now, communications that still continue to this day, 2019. And we can see that just by looking at um, Mecca, Saudi Arabia, where each year millions of Muslims travel from all over the world. And they take part in a holy pilgrimage, and this pilgrimage is known as the Hajj. And now it's meant to demonstrate um, both solidarity and the submission to the will of Allah. Now the climax of this pilgrimage is the Tawaf, whereby each person must walk around, uh, counterclockwise seven times around a large square structure called the Kaaba, known to Muslims as the House of God. Now it is here embedded in the wall of the eastern corner. And now this is a 4,000 year old cube shaped granite structure. Here is a secret relic simply known to them as the black rock. Now it's set within a pure silver frame. It's also believed to date back to the time of Adam 
and Eve, the beginning, right? It's also believed by many to have come to Earth from outer space. So academics believe there is no question that this is actually a meteorite. So according to Islamic legend, this was a meteorite that was actually brought to Earth by the archangel Gabriel. And it was given to Abraham during the building of Kaaba, the big structure. Now Muslims circumnavigate the Kaaba, making a seven-circuit circle to ultimately connect themselves with Allah, their God, to create a moment of divine unity. And in the process, they go into sort of this trance-like state, which takes them into this transcendental realm, right? Where they're communicating with their gods. So in Islamic tradition, it is believed that the Kaaba was originally built by Abraham. And it was built on the site by a higher spiritual direction. And uh, an angel of God is by all definition extraterrestrial. Now, would you guys not agree with that? So even within the Islamic culture, we must recognize that the source source of this Kaaba stone, bro, it's extraterrestrial. It's otherworldly, right? And as such, has significance far beyond that of just its cultural or historical origins. When Muslims pray, they're not just praying in the direction of Mecca. They are specifically praying in connection with the Kaaba. Now, presently, there's over 1.5 billion Muslims in the world. That's today. But since 600 AD, when Muhammad founded Islam, there have been billions more. So what we're witnessing here is actually an extraordinary story of an otherworldly being, Gabriel, the angel, bringing this down to earth. And whether it is real or not, it's having a tremendous, in fact, incalculable influence on human affairs. Either way, it's having this huge effect, this meteorite. Now, in the Hadith, which is a collection of traditions that supplement the Quran, there is a passage which describes the black stone speaking directly to the Prophet Muhammad. So, they believe on Judgment Day, all who have touched this black stone with a sincere heart will be given speech and expanded sight. Now, are besides this tradition, the black stone, are there other meteorites that have been believed to have mystical powers? And I'm going to tell you there's hundreds of them. And together, they form a network of so-called sacred stones, which are often used by humans to facilitate a direct communication with otherworldly beings, according to traditions. So let's go to Camp Verde, Arizona, 1915. Uh, a large meteorite is found wrapped in a feather blanket and buried inside an ancient rune. So this dude named George Dawson found something that looked like a possible grave, dug it up, turns out it was a fragment of a meteorite, and it was 135 pounds of nickel and iron, which was wrapped as if it was a human burial. Think about that. That's fucking weird, right? Now, it was almost as if, I don't know, these people that were doing the ceremony were like in some kind of relationship with this object. 
you also have to look at ancient Greece and the Temple of Apollo, um, which is constructed to honor the site where, you guessed it, a meteorite fell to Earth. A meteorite that is believed to contain the power of the gods. Zeus, the great uh, god of Olympians, he took a stone, according to tradition, and threw it down there to mark the place of origin for all humans, the beginning, and was also to mark the center of things. This was a particularly sacred spot. Now, the stone itself, the Omphalos, came from the heavens to the earth. It was a transmission. It was from Zeus to the people. From them, uh, that meteorite, that stone, was a power that radiated to all points of the earth from Delphi, from this meteorite. Now, um, this Apollo stone was also supposed to be a vehicle for communicating with the gods, just like in Islam tradition. So you have to wonder, was this rock sent by Zeus really some sort of special stone that could help people communicate with extraterrestrials? Or are these just simply human mythological tales? Some people say yes, some people say no. The ones that say no believe that proof that many have uh, been sent here deliberately can be found by re-examining what the Muslims believe to be the origins of that black stone, right? So tradition with the black stone says that it was to be an altar used by Adam, the first man, and that later the angel Gabriel gave it to Abraham, and that Abraham and Ishmael then took that rock and placed it um, in the Kaaba at Mecca, where it is today. So you have to wonder, did something or someone purposely give this stone to Abraham in order to move mankind forward on planet Earth? Is the connection between the black stone and Kaaba and the biblical story of Adam and Eve further evidence that meteorites uh, may have been used to seed life here on planet Earth? So you have to wonder now, if meteorites can contain energy capable to influence the human mind, which we know has happened because it's influencing culture, it's influencing uh, religion, is it also possible that they may have other metaphysical capabilities, capabilities that we are only just beginning to comprehend? I think the answers to these questions may be looked for at the place where these meteorites first originate. Now, that could be a region in our solar system that may exist very near to our planet or in other solar systems very distant from our own. According to mainstream scientists and astronomers, virtually all the asteroids that enter the Earth's atmosphere have come from a circular region of space located between the planet Mars and Jupiter. And we know this as the asteroid belt. That's what we call it. Now, the asteroid belt was first discovered by astronomers, believe it or not, all the way back in 1801, a long time ago. Now, the asteroid belt contains an estimated 
2 million asteroids. Although most are very tiny, irregular shaped fragments of basically just mineral infused rock like we've been talking about, some are actually much larger, given them the status of what we call dwarf planets. But while the origins of the asteroid belt remain unknown, there are many who believe that it was formed after the destruction of a small planet and that the asteroids are simply the debris from that planet that has remained in orbit around the sun, just like a planet just spread out, just a bunch of space debris in, in theory. So there's a curious history behind attempts to understand the distribution of planets in our solar system, because it's unknown. It's still a very unknown thing. But it does seem that planets are spaced out in a rather regular way. And there's a big gap between Mars and Jupiter. Almost as if there should have been a planet in there, and there isn't. So the planets from the Sun are Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and then Neptune is the farthest out, right? Now an easy mnemonic for remembering the order is, um, my very educated mother just served us noodles. You're welcome. Now there's... There's almost 49 million miles between Earth and Mars, which seems like a lot, right? But there's 342 million miles between Mars and Jupiter. And in between is the asteroid belt. Now, Jupiter is the most massive planet in our solar system, being 317 times the mass of Earth. That's gigantic. You could fit 317 Earths inside Jupiter. In fact, it's so big, it's two and a half times larger than all the other planets combined. <clears throat> so not only is it huge, but it's a gas giant, meaning that it's primarily composed of hydrogen and helium, which, um, with swirling clouds and other trace gases, but it's basically, it's basically hydrogen and helium, where ours is basically nitrogen and oxygen. Now, Jupiter's atmosphere is the most intense in the solar system. And it produces violent storms. Just Google the Great Red Spot and you'll thank me later. But uh, I digress about the point of Jupiter's being big. I just thought it was interesting. Um, so when we discovered this asteroid belt with a lot of debris in between Mars and Jupiter, some early speculation was that maybe, obviously there was a planet in there. Because like I said, these these the rest of the um, planets are pretty spaced out. And then you get this big giant gap in between Mars and Jupiter, with the Astro Belt in between. So that's why the speculation's there. And they believe it got destroyed by some sort of collision. And that what we are seeing, like I said, is just all the fragments of that planet. So if the asteroid belt does contain the remnants of a planet, well, what led to its um, destruction? Was it due to a natural catastrophic event? Or... Is there even more of an incredible explanation? Maybe answers can be found in some of the earliest recorded stories from the ancient worlds. So according to the Sumerian and Babylonian lore, there was this phenomenal cosmic battle that the gods fought amongst themselves across the cosmos. And there's been there's multiple um, lores from traditions who believe there was a cosmic battle. But this is one specific. They believed it was it was one planet fighting another planet. And that in fact, 
one planet was completely destroyed during this cosmic battle. And as a result of that, they destroyed their home world and had to reestablish civilization on a new planet, our planet, Earth. So, is it possible that some space battle was responsible for creating the asteroid belt thousands of years ago? I don't really know. But if so, could that suggest that some of the meteorites that have come to Earth are not only from the asteroid belt, but also from galaxies far away? And maybe they still contain evidence of alien civilizations. What if I suggest that such a meteoric event may not be accidental, but actually be part of an incredible agenda? So check it out. Johannesburg, South Africa, February 2018, one year ago. Geologists from the University of Johannesburg announced that they have discovered a meteorite that is unlike any known to man. According to them, the meteorite referred to as the Hypatia Stone did not come from the asteroid belt or from anywhere inside our solar system for that matter. It came from somewhere else in the galaxy. So the Hypatia Stone has a number of interesting features because you can look at asteroids in our solar system and they have a very definitive composition. This composition is radically different. It's not chondritic. And now that's the key element of most meteorites and asteroids. So um, the standard composition for meteorites we find, like I said, is chondritic. And what that means is it matches almost exactly the composition of the sun. So these are part of the congealed early solar system nebulae. They're four and a half billion years old, basically. It's the original dust of the solar system. So why wouldn't the Hypatia um, stone fit that model from another star system? Why wouldn't it just, it's just a star. Why wouldn't it be the same asteroid, right? So it, it, this suggests not only was it inter interstellar, but it was exotic from wherever it came. So this Hypatia stone is just a riddle wrapped in an enigma. Now, prior to the discovery of the Hypatia stone, most scientists insisted that it would be virtually impossible for meteorites outside our solar system to arrive naturally on Earth. They said it couldn't happen. Here we are. Dude, there's like 4 billion stars in our galaxy, guys. So I'm going to blow your mind here. 4 billion stars in our galaxy. That's just unfathomable. So what are the odds of it coming from one of those stars and finding our solar system? And it was just on that perfect trajectory to get captured by the gravity of our planet. Why did this little stone not get captured by Jupiter or Saturn, one of these big gravity wells? Instead, it was just perfect to match with the Earth's gravity well and crash here. The odds of that are staggering. They're infinitesimal, guys. So there's always that possibility that the Hypatia stone had its trajectory manipulated, meaning it had a course correction so that it would get to the destination that it was going to. 
And when you think about the chances of some probably relatively small meteorite coming here from the vast reaches of space and then hitting Earth, it makes you think, was this sent here deliberately to target Earth? And if it was here, uh, sent here deliberately, why would they do this? Why was the Hypatia stone intentionally sent to Earth by an advanced civilization? It wouldn't make sense, right? I don't really know. But wouldn't it be pimp as fuck if an audacious concept could be possible? So that there are evidence that might support this. Um, and that's when we examine a number of meteorites that can actually levitate. You're like, what? I'm like, yeah, some of these meteorites can levitate, guys. So in San, D San Diego, California, March 7th, 2018, physicists at the University of California, San Diego, examine uh, the Mandrabella meteorite. So this is a 22-ton chunk of iron, which was unearthed in Western Australia. So what they did was they exposed fragments of this rock to extreme heat and pressure. Now, they discovered that it contains exotic materials known as superconductors, which are capable of harnessing magnetic force to levitate. When a material becomes superconducting, it wants to repel the magnetic field outside its surface in an instance. So there's a force created as it repels this magnetic field, right? And so it raises up and you can change the magnetic field and it will change the position of the levitated superconductor and in essence, move it forward, backward, left, right. This is what's kind of important from the perspective of using it for propulsion, which is the same concept of like levitating maglev trains that are in use today all over the world. It's the same type of theory. So over the last few years, NASA has been awarded millions of dollars in contracts to develop new superconductive thrust systems for spacecraft. Superconductors. However, the process to manufacture a superconductor is extremely precise and difficult. We can barely do it. It's really hard to do. Some suggest that this Mandrabila meteorite, Mandrabila, M-U-N-D-R-A-B-I-L-A, fuck that guy, it's a hard word, um, may have been artificially made. Because this thing was an amazing roll of the dice. That it was formed just away. That it was the right recipe to be a superconductor. Now there is a possibility that it wasn't created by randomness of nature. It is a possibility that these fragments left over. Maybe it was the propulsion system of some artificial craft. Just like NASA's looking into doing. We've got to connect the dots, guys. We're trying to do the same shit that even if they were just ideas or theories... We're trying to implement them. So there's some definitely sound logic into this. And if we're going to get this deep and nutty, right, why not then look at the possibility of other technology and meteorites that may even be more advanced than we currently understand? So let's go to uh, uh, Katarika, Russia, December 8th, 2016, at the northeastern tip of the Siberian tundra. 
geologists are panning through one and a half tons of clay when they spot a minuscule grain of meteorite that defies the laws of chemistry. The granule contains a new type of mineral. New mineral, guys. And it's called a quasi-crystal. A crystalline formation that never repeats itself. So quasi-crystal is very ordered. Looks like it might be a crystal when you look at it uh, because of its regular structure. But no matter how much you shift it or what direction you shift it, it will never exactly reproduce itself. So that feature of a crystal is fundamentally missing. But there's a really high level of order, hence the name quasi-crystal. So in 1982, scientist Dan Schreckman was the first to theorize, just theorize, the existence of what he called quasi-crystals. He also described them as having what he referred to as forbidden symmetry because they just should not exist in nature. So there was this 20-sided quasi-crystal found inside this meteorite's matrix. And the fascinating part about this was we only thought it could be formed in labs, guys. I mean, it, the immense amount of energy and the pressure to create that, it's hard to believe that such a complex structure could be created in the natural world. So is this meteorite artificial? Are these quasi-crystals inside it also artificially created? Because that's the only way we know how to do it. And what's their purpose? So we know, proven fact, that quartz crystals are used to store information. Just Google it. Uh, we can't go that deep here, guys. We're getting late on this. Um, so each of these quasi-crystals, like a computer disk, could very easily be holding huge amounts of information. Now, maybe there will be a future uses for these quasi-crystals that we haven't thought of yet. Um, but does this presence of unusual and potent materials in meteorites, such as superconductors and quasi-crystals, provide even more evidence? that we could use asteroids and meteorites as sophisticated interplanetary delivery systems. Guys, it's there. It's all there for us to use, and we're trying to use it. Can we use this to influence life and ecosystems on other planets, like what possibly happened here on Earth, whether that was natural or artificial? So let's finish with this, because to me, this is the whole wrap-up. This brings it all together. The most interesting part of this, in the late 1940s, Hungarian mathematician and computer scientist John von Neumann theorized that the best way to colonize space was through what he called self-replicating robots. Now hear me out. These are artificially intelligent machines that can replicate themselves using the materials they find in space. He had this idea that if you wanted to travel the galaxy and explore the galaxy, the best way to do it 
would it be to create small, self-replicating robots and propel them to the star system you want to go to? And they would start building things that wouldn't be needed so that when we finally got there, everything we uh, would be there that we wanted. Now, while Von Neumann imagined self-robots, um, self-replicating robots that were mechanical in nature, right? We think of a robot as a mechanical uh, thing, correct? What if more organic materials were used as a means to achieve the same process? So check it out. I'm about to blow your mind. So Van Neumann proposed that you could send a machine to another planet and it would start making copies of itself. And in fact, perhaps evolve from just the original copy to something more complex. Now perhaps this is what DNA is, a Van Neumann machine that replicates and then evolves and finally forms something similar to the thing that created it in the first place. Humans. Cell division, brah. So in the same sense, maybe we ourselves are these self-replicating robots. Maybe we were manipulated by some alien DNA. Then they manipulated our planet, helped us move technologically forward. And now we are ready to meet our creators. If you think about that Van Neumann probe concept, if that were to be the case, then all these other things about meteorites, about them being able to store information, about them being able to send organic material that could change an ecosystem, about them being able to perhaps be transceivers of information, and maybe even vessels that are spacecraft themselves. All of this makes perfect sense from that perspective. Here we are, in real life, on the verge of taking asteroids, turning them into self-propelled meteorites, sending them to other planets. And this is perhaps really the theme of the universe, that life is seeded in special planets like our own, it's nurtured until we ourselves can do what may have happened to us, and that is see life on other planets. So let me ask you this in conclusion. If NASA is planning on using asteroids to spread the seeds of humanity throughout our universe, are we on the verge of replicating the means of our own creation? I think as mankind continues to explore the galaxy, meteors may still contain important clues, not only of our own origins, but destinations that are as infinite as the stars. I always believed I was born too late to explore this earth, and I was born too early to explore the galaxy. Maybe I'll get my chance. Maybe we'll all get our chance. And wouldn't that be pimp as fuck? Alright guys, that's going to end this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. I know there was a lot of information there. Um, 
I hope it's just fun, it's just fun to theorize, guys. Uh, I don't really know. I don't, I don't. I'm not claiming that none of this is true. I'm just claiming it's a cool concept, and uh, I hope I hope you thought it was cool too. Other than that, uh, be good to each other. I love your neighbor. Love your friends. Love your family. Love your enemies. And uh, I'll catch you on the flip side. You have just witnessed the lyrical stylistics of chromatic distortion.
much to say that Papa never watched a day in his life. And Mama, some bad talk going around town saying that Papa had three outside children and another wife. And that ain't right. Heard some talk about Papa doing some storefront preaching, talking about saving souls and all the time leeching. Mama looked up with a tear in eye and said, son, I 